Today, I'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported to Russia. Moscow invades Ukraine. It's Friday, February 25th, and this is VOA Asia. I'm Jessica Stone in Washington. You'll also find us online at VOA Asia Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also ahead, Ukrainians evacuate. Markets react to the conflict. Why war in the breadbasket could cost us all. Battling COVID in Hong Kong and study finds breastfeeding discouraged. It's all on today's VOA Asia. President Joe Biden has ordered the deployment to Europe of approximately 7,000 troops. They will head to Germany to reassure NATO allies, deter Russian aggression, and be prepared to support a range of requirements in the region. The move comes after Russia launched an attack on Ukraine early Thursday. President Biden has also announced a package of additional sanctions on Russian banks and the Russian elite. Today, I'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported to Russia. This is going to impose severe cost on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. We have purposefully designed these sanctions to maximize the long-term impact on Russia and to minimize the impact on the United States and our allies. I want to be clear, the United States is not doing this alone. For months, we've been building a coalition of partners representing well more than half the global economy. 27 members of the European Union, including France, Germany, Italy, as well as the United Kingdom, Canada, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and many others, to amplify the joint impact of our response. I just spoke with the G7 leaders this morning, and we're in full and total agreement. We will limit Russia's ability to do business in dollars, euros, pounds, and yen to be part of the global economy. We'll limit their ability to do that. We're going to stunt the ability to finance and grow the Russian military. We're going to impose major, and we're going to impair their ability to compete in high-tech 21st century economy. But Biden did not sever Moscow's access to the SWIFT banking communication system, which could be economically devastating to Russia. Biden explained that decision by saying it did not have Europe's support. Meantime, we are getting eyewitness reports from our VOA correspondents on the ground. Here's VOA's Heather Murdoch. We're a couple hundred miles outside of Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, and we're driving through an area that was clearly an active battle zone very shortly before we got here. And we understand that Russian forces are right behind us, not specifically chasing us, but heading towards Kiev. Uh, we've seen so far uh, what appeared to be a bus on fire, a building on fire, um, and other uh, military truck that appeared to be abandoned. Some other military trucks that have... Uh, personnel waiting outside, appearing to be unsure what to do next. The roads are almost empty. Uh, Businesses are all closed, although right now we are uh, in the countryside and uh, almost no people are on the streets. We are hoping to get to Kiev safely, but right now in Ukraine, it is not sure where one can go to be safe or what will happen next after a very dramatic day, starting with bombs in the morning and the movement of Russian troops into the country from many different sides. Heather Murdoch, VOA News, uh, outside of Kiev in Ukraine. President Biden and leaders of the G7 met virtually Thursday morning. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has condemned the attack. 
Dieser 24. Februar ist ein furchtbarer Tag. This February 24th is a terrible day for Ukraine and a dark day for Europe. With his attack on Ukraine, the Russian president is once again violating the international law. Putin is bringing Putin suffering and destruction to his immediate neighbors. He is violating the sovereignty and borders of Ukraine and endangering the lives of countless people in Ukraine, Russia's brother nation. On Tuesday, Germany halted the Nord Stream 2 Baltic Sea natural gas pipeline project designed to double the flow of Russian gas to Germany. The more than $11 billion project has bothered Germany's allies. It was completed in September, but has been idle pending certification by Germany and the European Union. U.S. President Joe Biden had previously waived sanctions against the pipeline's operator, but on Thursday levied sanctions against that very same operator. We invite you to read more on our top story by following our Twitter stream at VOA Asia. We're also on Facebook, VOA Asia, and the VOAnews.com website. These are among the top Asia headlines you'll find right now on VOAnews.com. Taiwan foreign minister calls U.S. help critical in deterring war with China. China expands influence in Latin America. Myanmar junta using weapons from Russia and China against civilians. South Korea's presidential race puts misogyny in the spotlight. Australia's Antarctic plans anger China. Expanded coverage of these stories and more are on Facebook at VOA Asia, Instagram, Twitter, and on the VOANews.com website. Asia continues. Thousands of evacuees from the separatist pro-Russian enclaves of Luhansk and Donetsk continue to cross the border into Russia. They're seeking a place away from the conflict. Elizabeth Cherneff narrates this report from Rostovandan near Russia's border with Ukraine. Svetlana Ivanova left Luhansk last weekend after the de facto authorities in this region ordered the evacuation of civilians. After leaving her husband at home, she came with her three children to Russia, where she found asylum in a roadside hostel. How can I explain this situation to my children? There is no way to do it. We are all angry, sad, or afraid. Russian authorities say they have brought more than 70,000 people they evacuated from Donetsk and Luhansk here to Russia's Rostov region. Most are women and children. Irina Petrovna remembers the worst moments of the 2014 war between pro-Russian separatists and Ukrainian troops. So she says she did not hesitate to pack her suitcase and leave Luhansk with her grandson. The two days before we left, there were bombings, very strong. A lot of military activity. Practically two days, everything rumbled. The walls trembled. Horrible. We didn't know what to do. And then my daughter called me and told me, you have 15 minutes, pack your bags. Among those evacuated, along with the women and children, are the elderly. Svetlana Vasilenko is relieved to be out of the conflict zone. The last day, loud explosions were heard. We are tired and we are afraid. 
This region is already a temporary home for many citizens from Donetsk and Luhansk who arrived in droves since 2014. Dmitry Melnichuk arrived from Donetsk in 2015 and since then went back to take care of his child. He views the future with skepticism. Donetsk has been independent for seven years. In that time, nothing good has happened. And if it's left alone, nothing good will happen. In the past with Ukraine, we were better. With Russia, nobody knows how it will be if it is unified. People are not happy. As civilians flock to Russia seeking to escape the guns, a steady stream of war machines goes the other way in what could be a sign of tougher times ahead. For VOA reporters in Rostov-on-Don, Russia, Elizabeth Chernev, VOA News. Still ahead on VOA Asia, the price of war. Happening now in Asia. China did not provide assurance of support or any effort to find solutions to help Russia deal with the new set of economic sanctions. In its first reaction after the economic strikes, China said it is watching the situation. Stay up to date with VOA. You're listening to VOA Asia. So happy you could join us here on VOA Asia. The recognition by Russian President Vladimir Putin of two self-proclaimed republics within Ukrainian territory has created an uncertain scenario for Russians as war and economic sanctions point to a troubled future. Along Russia's border with eastern Ukraine, interviews with some members of the local population suggest some of them are eager to fight, while others say there is less patriotic fervor this time than there was in 2014 when Russia annexed Crimea. John Spear narrates this report from Russia. On the banks of the Don River is the city of Rostov, one of the largest cities in southern Russia and just 90 kilometers from the border with Ukraine. Thousands of people are coming this far from the Luhansk and Donetsk regions, displaced by the growing conflict. As they arrive, concerns mount over what a war and its consequences will have on the lives of Russia's population. I'm worried about how this is going to affect normal people, the economy. Will the dollar rise again? Will wages fall? Will there be military operations? We don't know what is happening. The vast majority of people do not know the truth of what is happening. For some people, the price to pay for Russia's military involvement in the conflict in neighboring Ukraine is too high. They say this time is not like in 2014 when the annexation of Crimea had broad popular support. I do not support this decision. Okay, they have a conflict, but it's an internal matter. Why should we get involved in it? Why recognize their independence? It's another country. Let them fix their problems. And now, because of this decision, I don't know what will happen next week. Others say they are willing to pay whatever price is necessary. My family and I fully support Vladimir Putin's decision to recognize these republics. We have suffered a lot since 2014, a lot of pain in our hearts. It is not something minor for us. We are willing to bear the sanctions. Many in this part of Russia have family and social ties with Luhansk and Donetsk. And despite political differences on Russia's recognition of the independence of these territories, all said they agree in wanting the violence to stop. I have acquaintances, friends and co-workers there. 
My parents are there now. Obviously, I'm worried because the situation there is bad. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. The new sanctions against Russia have been imposed. While on the street, uncertainty, worry about the future and fear of a larger war weigh down the mood of the Russians. For VOA reporters in Rostov-on-Don, Russia, John Spear, VOA News. Read and see more on this story at VOA Asia Facebook. VOA Asia Facebook is the choice of millions to see and read the latest stories about Asia and the United States. Follow us on VOA Asia Facebook and say hello online or on your smartphone. Subscribe to all of our platforms for free. See, hear, and read and share all of the latest from VOA Asia anytime. VOA Asia is your trusted source for news and great features. Happening now in Asia. As Taiwan continues to face a military threat from China, Foreign Minister Joseph Wu said this week, the Taiwanese government continues to focus on its asymmetric defense capability, including U.S. assistance. All the big stories coming your way throughout the day on VOA Asia Twitter and Facebook. This is VOA Asia. VOA Asia continues. Ukraine is a significant player in global food security, but the Russian military invasion and naval deployment into the Black Sea both threaten to disrupt Ukrainian grain exports, potentially affecting global supply. Oksana Bedratenko filed this report, narrated by Anna Rice. Ukraine produces over 6% of the world's grain supply, according to the Observatory of Economic Complexity. That's why there could be a ripple effect felt worldwide says food analyst Alex Smith. The countries that are the most dependent on Russian and on Ukrainian wheat uh, were Lebanon, which was about 50% of their total wheat consumption in 2020 came from Ukraine. Uh, Libya, I think, I can't remember the exact numbers right now, I'm sorry. Uh, Libya was, was a significant number and so was Yemen, but all three of them have had significant conflicts recently are already dealing with high food prices and already dealing with significant food insecurities. If grain supply disruptions were to occur now, it would shock world markets, say experts. For Ukraine, they have a lot of sales on the books to countries like China and and other major importers. If that were to be disrupted, it causes a a significant dislocation in, in the flow. And with an ongoing drought in South America, the world depends even more on other sources, like Ukrainian wheat. As it happens, the other major producers are South America, Brazil and Argentina. They are going through a drought situation. So these next couple months in front of us is is already in a tight corn and wheat supply situation. And if you cut off imports or disrupt those that flow of grain from a major region, that would have huge impacts. It, it, it would send prices sharply higher. Food analyst Smith believes the disruption in the supply of Ukrainian grain might benefit Russia, since countries like China might turn to Russia to get grain. Russian President Vladimir Putin and China's President Xi Jinping recently signed an agreement in which China agreed to allow imports of wheat and barley from all regions of Russia. I think there's 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 potential that Russia is is a significant 
wheat producer as well. I mean, just agriculturally is a is a large you know exporter in general. Uh, I think that some there there definitely is they definitely have capacity to to take to fill in some of this uh, some of the scarcity that could come from a Russia Ukraine conflict. Analysts hope a disruption in grain supplies can be avoided. Otherwise, a food crisis could be a real possibility, not only in the region, but far beyond. For Oksana Bedratenko in Washington, NRI's VOA News. Making headlines in Asia. China has condemned Australia's plans to boost its scientific and strategic presence in Antarctica. The government in Canberra on Tuesday announced plans to fly a fleet of surveillance drones and long-range helicopters over the icy continent. Stay up to date with VOA. You're listening to VOA Asia. VOA Asia continues. While other parts of the world have started opening up, Hong Kong is experiencing unprecedented COVID-19 caseloads with records breaking daily. Chief Executive Carrie Lam has announced mandatory citywide testing as the city tries to achieve a dynamic zero-COVID policy that's in line with mainland China. VOA's Elizabeth Lee reports. Hong Kong has been struggling to contain the spread of COVID-19, even as many parts of the world are returning to normalcy. Hong Kong resident Packy Mack has been living through this crisis. It's ridiculous. It feels like we're in the third world. I never thought something like this would happen to an international financial hub. For more than six months, Hong Kong saw zero imported COVID-19 cases. But since the Lunar New Year, the highly transmissible Omicron variant has led to an exponential growth in the caseload, with clusters developing throughout the city. Hong Kong resident Ken Wong. I think the biggest issue here is that they didn't do well in their preventive measures. They didn't close the borders, and now all these cases have come through. Hong Kong's chief executive, Carrie Lam, announced this week tougher measures to stop the spread. We will implement compulsory universal testing, or in English, CUT, within three months in order to cut off this transmission chain. The Hong Kong Security Bureau has also set up a new anti-epidemic police task force to prepare for mandatory testing for the entire city. Officials say they are in full-on war mode. Hong Kong aims to follow Beijing's approach by implementing a dynamic zero-COVID-19 infection strategy. There are designated clinics to take in COVID-19 patients with mild symptoms to ease the strain in public hospitals having reached maximum capacity. Labs have been overwhelmed with people waiting days before getting test results. Resources from the mainland have poured in as President Xi Jinping ordered the city to contain the spread of the virus. The Hong Kong government is also looking to build makeshift hospitals for COVID-19 patients. But some residents say the measures will not be enough. Resident Jeremy Chen supports tougher measures, but he's doubtful COVID can be contained. I think there was a need to strengthen the preventive measures and increase citizens' awareness, but I don't think we can achieve zero COVID-19 because we live in such a densely populated environment, and so unlike on the mainland, where they have much more space to carry out those measures such as quarantine. The government has introduced a vaccine pass, 
which will require citizens to provide their vaccination records before entering designated venues, such as shopping malls and wet markets. But not everyone in Hong Kong supports tougher COVID prevention policies. Resident Veronica Kong. I don't support the government in introducing stricter measures because we have our freedom and rights. Even forcing us to take vaccines is already not quite acceptable. Family practice doctor David Owen says it's unrealistic at this stage to completely eliminate COVID from Hong Kong. We're mostly going to get infected. Most of the people in Hong Kong are going to be infected in the next three months. And so really what we have to do over the next two months is to focus on uh, minimizing the harm to the health system. Health authorities have started offering the Chinese Sinovac vaccine to children as young as three years old. Hong Kong currently has a vaccination rate of over 76 percent, but only about 20 percent of those aged 3 to 11 have received their first shot. Elizabeth Lee, VOA News. A World Health Organization United Nations Children's Fund study finds aggressive marketing practices by formula milk companies undermine women's confidence, discouraging them from breastfeeding their babies. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. And unethical marketing strategies all are in breach of international standards on infant feeding practices. World Health Organization scientist and a lead author of the report, Nigel Rollins, says more than half of parents and pregnant women report being bombarded with messages about the benefits of formula milk. He tells VOA industry claims are largely misleading and of dubious scientific veracity. There are many, many examples of how, for example, they see scientific terms being used, where there are scientific claims uh, in terms of packaging, uh, claims that uh, it will improve brain development, that it will improve growth, that it will improve immunity, even during the time of COVID. Rollins says there's no evidence to substantiate those assertions. He notes new parents may have difficulty judging the truthfulness of marketing claims. He says they want the best for their babies and are vulnerable to messages that promise solutions to -to day-to-day problems. The survey was conducted in Bangladesh, China, Mexico, Morocco, Nigeria, South Africa, Britain, and Vietnam. In those countries, between 49% and 98% of women surveyed expressed a strong desire to breastfeed their babies exclusively. However, the report says misleading marketing messages reinforce the difficulties of nursing, undermining women's confidence in their ability to breastfeed successfully. The WHO UNICEF study notes global breastfeeding rates have increased very little in the past two decades. During the same period, Period, sales of formula milk have more than doubled. Rollins says the health consequences for infants and babies who are not fed with mother's milk are serious, especially in low-income countries. But in fact, breastfeeding has a protective effect against mortality, even in high-income settings. But the impact on lifelong health, so if you think about things like child obesity and child development and maternal health, risk of cancer, those are true for both children and mothers in every setting. The report says the baby feeding industry uses promotional gifts, commissions from sales and other inducements to entice health workers in all countries to persuade new mothers to buy their products. 
The report does not identify any formula manufacturer by name. However, in response to the study, Swiss-based Nestle, the world's biggest formula maker, told media it was, quote, highly compliant with the WHO code and that it was voluntarily stopping promoting formula for infants zero to six months across the world by year end. The WHO, UNICEF, and partners are calling on governments to adopt legislation to end exploitative marketing practices. They add these laws must be enforced to ensure that the $55 billion industry abides by the landmark 1981 International Code of Marketing of Breast Milk Substitutes. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Thanks for joining us, and thanks to our service chief, Diane Gao. Our VOA Asia team includes Keith Lane, Chris Cascajo, and Jim Stevenson. I'm Jessica Stone in Washington. Enjoy the day.